coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Um, on the lifestyle thing, the first thing I do is talk about sleep. That's actually the first discussion I have. Why is that? Because your testosterone peaks first thing in the morning, which is why if you had adequate testosterone, typically guys would wake up with an erection in the morning and feeling energetic and feeling frisky, right? If you're not doing that, that's a signal that your testosterone could be low. It peaks first thing in the morning because the mechanism for producing testosterone, which starts in your brain, your brain secretes a signal called LH, luteinizing hormone, that cascades downwards. And the so-called LH surge, quote unquote, every night is what signals the testicles to produce testosterone in the morning. Well, if your sleep is choppy, you are not getting a strong LH surge. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. Michael Turner. Dr. Turner is a graduate of Stanford University, Harvard Medical School, and the Mayo Clinic. He's treated over 10,000 patients since 2009. He practices integrated medicine in his own national concierge practice, providing personalized approaches to help people achieve their optimal state of health. We discussed achieving optimal thyroid function, natural ways to boost testosterone, strategies to stay sharp at any age, Dr. Turner's experience with passing the Navy SEALs fitness test, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Michael Turner. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have Dr. Michael Turner on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Very glad to be here. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we were just talking a little bit. You're out of Washington and uh, integrative medicine physician. How did you start? What led you down that path? Well, really, it was an outgrowth of my personal experiences. So I grew up in Northern California in the Bay Area. My mom was a hippie back in the 60s and worked in a natural food store. So when I grew up, there was minimal sugar in the house. There was an emphasis on reading books, getting fresh air, exercising. My mom refused to buy me video games, uh, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> Oh, your mom, your mom was ahead of her time. <laughs> she was. She was a lady ahead of her time. Exactly. And then... In health class, my sophomore year, I was pretty impacted because one time they had us write down everything we ate in a day, grams of saturated fat, grams of sugar, ingredients, and all that. And that was an eye-opener for me. It was a big eye-opener. Um, I had let myself go a little bit in terms of my eating, you know, being high school and in high school and exerting my autonomy and such, right? So when I wrote that down, I said, oh my gosh, I'm drinking a chocolate milk every, you know, recess, you know, lunch break. And like, this thing's packing... 18 grams of sugar in it, you know, and this Snickers bar, this thing's packing, you know, 50% of my day's saturated fat, you know, what is this? So, um, mm. that was an eye opener. And at that point I, I started eating clean. We didn't use that phrase. Obviously we're talking like late eighties, early nineties, but it was just super low fat tuna oatmeal, <laughs> um, whey protein started running a lot. And then, uh, got a little weight bench from my grandpa that I inherited a little preformed Joe Weider plastic weight, uh, concept. And we just stuck that in the garage. I started hitting that hard every day. So <laughs> to answer your question, it, it started all the way back then, but it moved forward to what I do today. So 
I think about my job is to bring the best answer to the patient's problem from wherever that comes. It may come from a more traditional medical side. I went to Harvard. I went to the Mayo Clinic, so I'm well-trained in that. But it may come from the naturalistic side, uh, as in my my personal experience and ongoing education and interest in that. Yeah, I mean, you started early, right? So you were you were already writing down what you were eating when you were in high school, um, which I, I think sometimes people don't start doing that maybe till they get into their 40s and 50s. Uh, I, I And I can see how that can play a role because it's like you don't really know what you're doing, whether it's food or sleep or this, unless like you start recording, you know, what you're actually doing. And I think that can, that obviously played a positive role in your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it was. And I, I'm sure perhaps you include uh, something like that when you work with clients, you, you know, you might emphasize something like that. Very important. There's a saying that you don't improve what you don't measure. And there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and when did you, so do you have a, your own practice or do you have other physicians you work with? Uh, I have my own practice. I worked here in my town in a neuroscience center. I was recruited back in 2009, had a very successful career working in the neuroscience center. Mm-hmm. However, I felt it was unfulfilling because all the, along I had this drive towards health, wellness, prevention, anti-aging. You could put different labels on it. Uh, and so I was doing things like checking my patient's hormone levels and talking to them about using an infrared sauna or intermittent fasting. Uh, talking to them about optimizing their thyroid, talking to them about making smoothies, you know, alkaline diet, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I just outgrew the job that I was hired for. And at that point I said, you know what, it's time for me to fly the coop. I need to spread my wings. I'm going to, life is too short and I don't want to end my career with a bunch of dissatisfaction and coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know? So I'm going to start michaelturnermd.com and do this. And, and I know it's going to work and it has, and, uh, tons of, personal satisfaction as well over the last few years. Yeah, that's, that's great. And what would you say, uh, you talked about like hormone optimization, um, and, yeah. thi- and thyroid. I just had, um, Danny Roddy on, I don't know if you're familiar with Danny Roddy, but he's part of sort of this bioenergetic, um, viewpoint on like just optimizing metabolism and thyroid. And so what, what yeah. type of, yeah, what type of, um, things that, uh, do you look into as far as hormone health and, and optimizing, um, you know, thyroid? Sure. Well, a lot of times people would have a chief concern or in medical language, we use chief complaint. A lot of times people will have a chief concern of low energy fatigue, right? They're drinking energy drinks. They feel like they need to take a nap. They're feeling sluggish at work. They got no energy for their spouse when they come home at the end of the day, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's typically the symptom that comes forward. Now, underneath that, then I explained there are two main hormonal systems in your body responsible for energy regulation, your thyroid, which your T3 level, which is your active form of thyroid, directly influences mitochondrial number and activity. So if you are lacking T3, you will have less and less active mitochondria. And the converse is also true. Besides that, then we have adrenals, right? Your adrenal hormone system is hugely responsible for feeling energetic, not only cortisol, but also DHEA. Besides that, then we have the sex hormones. For example, a guy with low testosterone is going to feel sluggish. Um, sometimes a postmenopausal woman, for example, low estrogen or progesterone or low testosterone, even in a woman, because women need testosterone, just like guys need estrogen. Obviously, the ratio is different, but important to pay attention to that. So we start working on those three parameters. As to your question about thyroid, 
it gets down to really listening to the patient and doing some thorough lab analyses and putting that together towards an optimal understanding. So for example, many patients will come to me and say, doc, I'm pretty sure my thyroid's off. You know, my mom has thyroid problems. My aunt has thyroid problems. My sister has thyroid problems. I'm feeling tired. I'm depressed. I'm sluggish and I'm losing my hair, but my primary care checked the TSH, AKA thyroid stimulating hormone and said it was normal. And where do I go from here? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this story or seen this. Yeah. 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 And it's so, yeah. So the answer is you have to check a few other labs besides just the TSH, but then also you have to consider maybe this person's TSH is quote unquote normal. Okay. But maybe if we shifted it from the, you know, the high side in the case of TSH, which would actually indicate a low thyroid state, let's just say we drop the TSH a bit by giving them some thyroid or stimulating their thyroid gland to put out naturally, which there are ways to do that. What if we just slid them along this continuum of normal from one side where they're at to the, a better side of normal, how much better might they feel? And it's tremendous. Person will come back and say, I'm losing weight. My hair stopped falling out. And we didn't do anything extreme. We just took them sort of from one end of the bell curve to the other one. Uh, so still within physiologic limits and reason. So that that's that's very common situation. Yeah. And do you prescribe uh, thyroid for a lot of patients? Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What natural ways could individuals maybe help stimulate thyroid and and uh, get things going? Sure. So there are some multi-ingredient uh, vitamin and supplement formulations, which I'm a big fan of. One of the best ones is from Thorne. If you've heard of Thorne Research, mm -hmm. um, T-H-O-R-N-E. They have a product called Phytozone that is tremendous. Um, but essentially, those products provide things like selenium, vitamin C, uh, zinc, certain minerals and vitamins that are involved as cofactors or as part of the process of your body converting pre-thyroid to active thyroid, right? The precursor thyroid is called T4. The active is T3. So sometimes there's a biochemical hangup there where your body is not well converting T4 over to T3. And this would give you some of the substrates to help do that. Essentially that's on the hormonal side. Um, on another side, actually, and this is thinking outside the box a little bit, but something I've started to recommend that has been helpful is the idea of infrared light. You may know infrared light stimulates metabolism, stimulates blood flow, stimulates mitochondrial activity as well. You can get a handheld infrared wand and actually hold it over your thyroid. And hmm. because the thyroid is a superficial structure, easily localizable, I've had patients have some tremendous success holding infrared light right on their thyroid 10, 15 minutes a day and taking the Thorn product that I mentioned. That's on the conservative side. Yeah, you know, I keep yeah. hearing I keep hearing red light come up <laughs> with 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 a lot with a lot of my yep. guests. Yeah, um, I actually just got one for myself, so uh, I haven't used it a ton yet, but just started using it. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. It, there's been quite a bit of research behind red light, huh? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Interestingly, some of the research when I first started hearing about it had to do with musculoskeletal healing. Okay, so physical therapists were using it for tendonitis. For example, if you can imagine having golfer's elbow or tennis elbow, right? Interesting. And they're putting this infrared light on there or near infrared light and stimulating healing of this tendon. 
And the mechanism behind that was increasing blood flow, increasing mitochondrial activity, as I mentioned. What was interesting is, as physical therapists were starting to use this superficially on the body, they also noticed that patients were losing body fat. Okay. So if, if you can imagine if they're, if I'm rubbing this wand around your abs, because you've got, you know, a pulled ab muscle or a bruise or something, I'm trying to rehab all of a sudden fats melting away off their abs. And so that launched, um, a, a whole bunch of research in a period of time in which these handheld superficial infrared devices were marketed as fat loss. And there are still some out there that you can find, which is valuable, uh, legitimate use of them. They do, they promote some visceral fat loss. Interesting. Um, and then beyond that now, it's moved much more towards the idea of whole body infrared light. So you can sit down in a light bed, almost like you can sit in a tanning bed mm -hmm. and you can get whole body infrared light for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. What might that do for you? Well, absolutely improved energy because of improved mitochondrial function. So that's one of my favorite techniques or hacks, if you will, if someone's really suffering from chronic fatigue, aside from the things that I mentioned, getting their hormones right, et cetera. I say, let's look at whole body infrared light. And I have some people go to their local tanning salon, which now most of them will have infrared light booths, sit in there for two, three sessions a week. They feel great. Hmm. Well, let's shift yeah. to testosterone. Is that, it, it, do you okay. find, because um, uh, a lot of individuals on, on that listen to my podcast, middle-aged men, um, you know, this is a sort of a hot topic. What, what are your thoughts around sort of boosting testosterone maybe without, you know, drugs? thoughts around that absolutely yeah. sure a really important concept just to put an exclamation point on that let's talk about the aging process of a man's anatomy okay how do, how do, where does the aging process and how does it interact with your testicular function and the answer is that you have one testosterone producing cell that dies goes offline and never comes back it dies every four seconds okay so guys are losing one testosterone producing cell every four seconds irreversibly, unfortunately. Now, thankfully, there's a lot of redundancy down there in terms of the number of cells that we start with, right? But this is a problem. And so typically beginning in your 30s, you start to lose 1% of your testosterone a year. Besides that, that's on the individual level. But besides that, on the societal level, we know that there's something wrong. It could be the endocrine disrupting chemicals in the water, right? It could be the female hormones that don't get taken uh, out of municipal water supplies very well and recycled. It could be simple obesity, but in, in any case, the average male testosterone level, this is based on some cohort longitudinal studies is about 30% lower than it was in the 1980s. That's concerning, right? That's not, that's not genetics. That's not evolution. That's none of that. This is something since the 1980s is causing across the board, lower levels of testosterone, 30%. So to your point, it's definitely a concern. Um, on the lifestyle thing, the first thing I do is talk about sleep. That's actually the first discussion I have. Why is that? Because your testosterone peaks first thing in the morning, which is why if you had adequate testosterone, typically guys would wake up with an erection in the morning and feeling energetic and feeling frisky, right? If you're not doing that, that's a signal that your testosterone could be low. It peaks first thing in the morning because the mechanism for producing testosterone, which starts in your brain, your brain secretes a signal called LH, luteinizing hormone, that cascades downwards. And the so-called LH surge, quote unquote, every night is what signals the testicles to produce testosterone in the morning. Well, if your sleep is choppy, you are not getting a strong LH surge, right? 
And in fact, they've done some studies. I, I don't want to misquote exactly, but they show that the difference between a guy who gets five hours of sleep a night and a guy who gets eight hours of sleep is like a 30 or 40% drop off in their teeth that next morning. So that's a big concept. So I actually start there. The next thing I talk about is losing weight. So simply getting lean helps boost testosterone. Why is that? Because of an enzyme called aromatase. And aromatase is a negative concept from the guy's point of view as regards testosterone. Aromatase is an enzyme that takes part of your circulating pool of testosterone, siphons it off and creates estrogen from it. Now, that's that's part of our God-given physiology. That's necessary to a degree. As I said, guys need estrogen. But too much aromatase activity will equal an imbalance then, testosterone dropping and estrogen rising. Now, it turns out that aromatase is preferentially concentrated in fat cells. So simply getting fatter means you have overall more <laughs> burden of aromatase enzyme activity in your body, your T will drop. The opposite is true. Getting lean reverses all of that. So um, that helps all by itself. The other thing I talk about is avoiding alcohol. Uh, you may be familiar with that idea, but alcohol disrupts testosterone th synthesis, very negative. Um, keeping up your healthy fat intake. So I talk about the concept of healthy fats. Uh, talk about exercise strategies. The idea with boosting your testosterone is to be doing some compound movements and some heavy movements, more like a five rep times three set cycle or something like that. I just tell guys, imagine, you know, imagine the, the idea of testosterone boosting and exercise. Imagine the old day we didn't have gyms and stuff. It would be you splitting wood. Uh, it would be you lifting a wheelbarrow of concrete and moving the thing somewhere, right? It would be you hoisting up some lumber and <laughs> building a barn or something like that. So you're using your whole body and you're you're on the heavier side of exertion uh, intermittently with some rest period, something like that. So definitely not sitting at a machine doing bicep curls. You know, we're talking doing Olympic lifts, kettlebells, uh, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Is yeah. that something you implement into your routine? I've seen some videos of you online doing some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> moving some yeah weight. Uh, yes yeah. absolutely yeah at different times yeah absolutely brian at different times um i interestingly enough my wife came to me a number of years back she says i think you should get your testosterone level checked and i i, I go <laughs> i try not to take it personal <laughs> right right you know like, she was just looking out oh, for you but you're like, yeah <laughs> exactly what would give you that idea honey my gosh right so <laughs> she's like i think you i think you should get your levels checked and sure enough they were on the lowish side i was about 38 39 years old at the time they're lowish uh i've done things over the years to bring them up there's different ways we can talk about that some natural some medication some straightforward testosterone therapy i've been on it back and forth now um but it's been tremendous it's yeah helped me with energy fat loss muscle gain all the good stuff that, you know, a guy would want to see. Um, so you and have, as far as my personal work, hey, go, yeah. ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, as far as my personal workout routine, yes. Yeah, sometimes I do more of an emphasis on strength training and things. Currently I'm, I'm a big fan of yoga and I'm actually doing a lot of outdoor swimming. So, oh. uh, just free water, open water swimming is my big focus lately. That is awesome. And that is not easy. I, I imagine open, open swimming. I mean, I liked, I used to swim a lot, but I've never done that much open, you know, open water swims. Yeah. It's a challenge. I greatly enjoy it. I like the scenery and every swim is different. You know, you're swimming in a different lake or a different stream or a different beach somewhere. Sometimes it's cold water. 
warm water. Sometimes the water is murky. Sometimes you're seeing animals in the water. I mean, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of variation to it. It's always a little bit uh, of a mental challenge too. It's always, a, there's always a little edgy feeling, right? Mm. So for example, I was in Hawaii, everybody else was on the beach, open water swimming, you dive under the wave, you go way out, you go past the surfers, you go past everybody. Wow. You know, there's, there's, there's nobody out there. The lifeguard's not going to save your backside if something happens. So mentally, you have to get in the zone that I'm going to take myself from point A to point B, Mm -hmm. or die trying literally and it's all on me and i just got to get there and i can't just get tired i can't quit you know i've got to just push on and and i actually like to take myself to that zone although it's a little discomforting uh definitely but it's strengthening in the end well i noticed you, you did uh the what the navy seals fitness test yes when, when did you do that that was 2021 oh okay. i believe i did that in 2021 yeah so as you may be familiar, I got inspired. I was looking around on YouTube. There was a video of these two bodybuilders from England, actually, who had attempted this Navy SEALs fitness test, which is the require the screening requirements to be accepted into Navy SEALs basic training, aka BUDS, B-U-D-S. And it was a tongue-in-cheek and humorous video in the end, right? Because the bodybuilders, having done no training for this thing, uh, did decent at the pull-ups and the push-ups middle of the road with their abs on the sit-ups and they tanked on the swim and tanked on the run because just didn't have the cardio and the technique, et cetera. And it's all about watching them suffer, you know, on this video and having some chuckles at their misfortune. Right. But I got inspired and I said, I'm, I'm always looking to set a fitness goal for myself. And yeah. I said, well, what if I, what if I did this? And you know, my situation is a little different. I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not a even former college athlete. I'm not a professional YouTube fitness guy. I don't get paid to just sit there and train all day. I'm a doctor. I'm a father. I have a business. I have a mortgage. I got responsibilities. Plus, I'm at the time I was 45 years old. So I said, is it conceivable that a 45-year-old guy in my situation with all those constraints I just mentioned could get in competitive qualifying Navy SEALs shape? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And that was my, hmm. my drive that year. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I mean, having something to work towards, right? Like it doesn't, whether it's something like this or like you see a lot of times with people, if they have like a wedding or something coming up, it's like you have something to work towards that that's the motivator enough to, to just take action. So that's, yeah. yes, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I was, I was looking at the test itself is that, uh, uh, so it's run 15 miles in 10 and a half minutes. Is that the right one that I'm looking at? swim 500 yards in 12 and a half minutes or was yours different than this <laughs> no no you're sounding right although i don't think the run was 15 miles i think it was 1.5 miles there might be oh, a decimal oh yeah yeah you know what <laughs> run 1.5 <Yeah. laughs> miles okay 10 there we are 10 pull-ups in two minutes 50 curl-ups yeah. in two minutes that might be tough for me that the curl-ups um 50 push-ups in two minutes yeah. I, I can do that 500 yards swim yeah. in 12. The swimming, I'd probably have to train a little bit. I haven't swam in a while. <laughs> but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously, it depends if you're doing it in open waters. A lot more difficult in open waters than it is in just a controlled pool. True, true. The test is typically done in a controlled pool, so that's nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I'll yeah. give this a go. You, you inspired me. <laughs> yeah, consider it. Yeah, yeah. If you know? you're serious, I can throw down some of my tips for it. But it, it was fun. It was going to, you know by definition, make you well-rounded in some of uh, your intentions. Yeah, I like, with I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you mentioned testosterone, you, you know, obviously natural ways. And then you mentioned that you've gone out, have you gone on and off with TRT or, and things like this? Um, what, what type yes. of, what, what, how's that been going? Ah, it's, it's been going great. So at times I've been on Clomid, which if yeah. you're familiar with the idea of TRT, right? So that works on the whole idea of that luteinizing hormone surge that I mentioned that your brain sends out every night, the signal LH surge. Mm-hmm. Clomid taken right before bed creates a larger LH surge every night. I describe it as ramping up your internal circuitry of production. So if you take this med, it ramps up your internal circuitry of production, your testosterone levels will boost the next morning. Can work very well. And the nice part about that is it does not inhibit sperm formation. Whereas if you give someone external testosterone, it shuts down sperm production. Now, it increases sex drive, it increases erectile function, but as far as fertility, it shuts down sperm production and it acts like male birth control. Clomid avoids that problem and therefore is my go-to for younger guys. The only problem with Clomid is there's a cap on how high you can take a person's testosterone usually. It's about 2 or 2.5x. So when you look at the scientific literature, all the studies that talk about Cloma, they usually either use 25 milligrams a day or 50 milligrams every other day. All of those studies, you can see the boost in testosterone, but it's only 2 to 2.5x. So if you've got a guy who's really, really down low on his level, it's just not going to get him there, and you have to have a, a discussion about the bigger other guns. Yeah. yeah, other things. And and. Clomid, it, you remind me because I had uh, Rob Wolf on. I don't know if you know Rob Wolf. He was a big paleo guy, but back in the day, um, yeah. now he owns Element, that salt company. But uh, he talked about Clomid a little bit as well. And and when you talk about lower levels, are you talking like, like, I mean, I, I know it depends on the age of the individual, and there's probably some underlying factors as well. But like yeah. less than three hundred, uh, for as far as testosterone is concerned, is that when you maybe start considering stuff like this? I'm a little more aggressive than that, actually. So that would be a conservative number in my mind, even just generally amongst the medical establishment. If you're 300 or south, the doctor would reasonably be concluding that your testosterone levels low. Now, we can talk about per age demographic, you know, what's reasonable and how the doctors sure. make decisions. But as to give a number 300 or south is obviously low. I've repleted guys either way, all the way up to maybe mid 500s or so. Because my concept is, I don't want you hanging out at the lowest possible end of the spectrum. Let's take you up to the higher end of the spectrum, right? And I'm not, I'm not talking about surging past the upper end of the spectrum. I'm not talking about bodybuilders abusing drugs and you know testosterone levels of 2,000 and things like that. No, I'm just right. saying, let's take you up to the higher end of normal and let's let you sit there and let's see how much better you feel. And the answer is, guys, feels tremendous. So I'll, my goal for guys maybe 900 to 1100. And so if a guy's at 500 or 550, we can double that safely still, and he'll feel great. Once you do Clomid, is this something that you you said you take it every, every day or every other day? Is it something that yeah. you would have to be on in for forever? Or could you be on it for, you know, maybe a few months or a few years and then come off it and then get, you know, I don't know. I'm curious. Good point. It's typically going to be a longer duration concept. Yeah. It is going to be a longer duration concept. Typically, um, you can come off it at some point in the future. The worst thing that would happen is your body just reverts back to its old internal circuitry state of your previous testosterone level. Um, but you know, sometimes there's there's an idea of ramping things up, and then it sort of kickstarts a process. Let's just say 
Right. Your, your your body it, it fires something up and then maybe you're sleeping a little bit better maybe you're exercising a little harder and maybe you shed some visceral fat right so now when you get off the clomid things are dialed in better so that that's a possibility yeah but in general it's definitely a month's time frame commitment when we get going okay and why don't we talk a little bit about like um healthy brain um mm. yeah i, th- I yeah. think you know it's like i've had some gosh i've had some individuals talk we we touch on the brain and uh dr tommy wood i've had on we talked about that um and what what things do do you like recommend for individuals and i think it's something that gets left behind a lot we always talk about oh resistance training lifting you know lifting heavy and this and that it's like and and i i'm i'm at fault myself as well like i try to do things to stimulate you know brain activity but what what type of um recommendations do you make around that Yes, several. The first one, to your point, is exercise. So if we had to just pick one thing to do for your brain, if I had someone come in and say, Dr. Turner, I'm just feeling not mentally sharp. My dad came down with Alzheimer's. I'm I'm, I'm having trouble with some word finding. I get confused sometimes. My short-term memory is not there. Maybe they had COVID, you know, on top of that, which really set them back. And they have a dire concern for brain health. And I can tell them only one piece of advice. The answer is exercise. Um, most people don't quite understand why that is so, but it's very powerful on several levels. First of all, blood flow. So anything that increases blood flow to your brain is going to enhance your cognitive ability. For example, I was really struck about 10 or 12 years ago, there were a series of articles written in the New York Times by their health reporter about exercise and how it affects the brain. And it was fantastic reading. And that caused a segue into the science behind it, et cetera. But there have been a bunch of studies done of a similar type. And basically, they will do some test of memory uh, and cognition, such as show you 20 random faces and then 20 random names. And you have to pair them and remember them. Mm. And they'll show you these. And then they divide the groups. One group just sits in a chair, let's say, and stares out the window. The other group gets on an exercise bike and rides at a mild or moderate pace for a half an hour. Then they come back and they retest you. And what do they find? invariably that group that did exercise is demonstrating better recall, better cognition. You are actually smarter. Your IQ goes up. Your cognition goes up in the hours after you exercise for at least several hours afterwards. And part of that can be explained simply on the basis of blood flow. The metaphor I use for patients is imagine you have a dimmer switch, right? It's like a dimmer switch on your wall. You want to throw that dimmer switch to full on representing full blood flow to your brain. Besides that, exercise also boosts release of something called BDNF. Most patients haven't heard of this. Vitally important to understand. It stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. Phenomenal molecule. This directly strengthens neural connections in the brain, but especially in areas of memory, learning, cognition. I call it miracle grow for your brain. All right. So you sprinkle some BDNF around these neurons, they plump up, they get healthier, their connections are strengthened. Turns out then that exercise boosts BDNF levels directly. We know that. So that's phenomenal. There are other things that boost BDNF levels as well, including certain supplements like resveratrol, which is good for the brain. So to brain health, though, I start with the discussion about exercise. After that, uh, I talk about principles of oxidative stress and reducing oxidative stress in your brain. I talk about principles of inflammation and reducing inflammation in your brain. 
And then we can talk about principles of keeping your brain active, use it or lose it principle. Sure. For example, <clears throat> learning a new physical skill is actually a mental challenge and is very good for your brain. I'll use the concept of learning how to dance. Let's say you take up uh, country line dancing or, mm -hmm. you know, swing dancing or something like that. And you're looking at this person modeling something. You're trying to recreate that yourself three-dimensionally. You're listening to the rhythm of the music. You're matching that up. And you have to feel your partner, their weight, their energy, their distribution. And you have to be in sync with that. Right? Yeah. And so it's calling on multiple parts of your brain to pull that all together and to get that smooth. So that's a that's actually a neurologic connection phenomenon and challenge to learn that new three-dimensional exercise pattern set to music set with feedback to another individual, for example. So if you learn a new pose in yoga, you keep falling, you keep falling, you keep falling, finally you don't fall anymore. You That was a brain strengthening concept, again, integrating multiple sites of your brain. And then obviously things like learning a new language, you know, reading books, creative endeavors, that type of thing, but uh, keeping keeping the nerves firing and, and connected and giving them intentionally something to do that's new. Yeah, and like I've I've been doing uh, piano a little bit, and I recently just took up guitar, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, it it's yeah. not it's not easy to take uh, up an instrument, you know, as an adult, but I think you learn to appreciate it a little bit more, and uh, it's a challenge for sure, but. But uh, yeah, you definitely, you know, like watching people who are really good at like guitar, I'm like, wow, it's pretty amazing um, what they can do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My goal as an adult is to become successful on the accordion. Oh. And I have to say, Brian, this goal has been nagging at me for probably 12, 14 years. I bought an accordion when I was in residency at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. It was a estate sale and this guy i believe was actually a professional accordion musician this thing is beautiful it's got pearl inlay and everything gorgeous gigantic accordion probably has you know 75 buttons on one side etc wow well <clears throat> i got inspired i started learning a little bit of accordion and then i got too busy and then i you know had kids and more kids and this and that so this thing right. sits there it's been nagging at me this whole time and anyway yeah i i'm i'm not going to leave this earth without dedicating myself at some point to getting <laughs> decent on this accordion and uh i'm gonna have a lot of good brain training doing it right because to your point you're looking at little symbolic squiggles of ink on a page to mm. translate that into the correct sound that you want to hear to translate that into the correct three-dimensional movement that you need to make to do that all quickly maybe to sing along with it i mean come on there's your brain yeah learning yeah well you know you you got what you have five children so you could start a band yeah, <laughs> right. I guess so. Exactly. We got a polka band. <laughs> uh, what else? What other things do you find yourself working on individuals with? I know you talk a little bit about, um, you know, fasting and and um, obviously, I, uh, I don't know. Are there certain sort of principles that you that you like to sort of follow or have your patients follow when it comes to, you know, eating and meal timing and things like that? Sure. So if someone wants to come and talk about weight loss as an agenda, which I do quite often, some of my core weight loss principles, but one of them would be intermittent fasting, which I know you're a big fan of. I've seen your website. I've seen the program. It, it's great. Metabolically, it makes a lot of sense. So that's one thing I talk about. I talk about either an eight hour or a six hour eating window. 
Also making sure that that eating window is solidly during daylight time, right? In other words, a hamburger, let's just say, uh, or a bowl of chili or something is not the same at 9 p.m. as it is at 4 p.m. Not even close. Mm -hmm. It's not, there's a huge distinction there metabolically in terms of fat storage, energy, expenditure, et cetera. So I talk about intermittent fasting. I talk about low carb and low sugar. I talk about fat as an alternative source of fuel towards carbs. Now, I know you had a guy on not too long ago, uh, Dottie, and was talking about this. But from from the weight loss viewpoint, absolutely, the low carb and the low sugar concept is the way to go. I'm not always saying you're going to feel tremendously more energetic if you're training for a triathlon or something, right? That we got to moderate that idea. But if you're um, Joe guy with an office job and you want to lose weight, that's that's where you need to go because basically carbs or fats are alternative sources of fuel and if your body is shifted over to carb burning mode metabolically enzymatically there are changes that occur in your cell if you're shifted over to carb burning mode because you you have a predominance of carbs in your diets then you're shifting away from fat burning mode in fact you're in fat storage mode right? Which is the exact opposite of where you'd want to be. Whereas if you start to starve yourself of carbs, your body kicks into fat burning mode. And so that's where we want to stay. Not to mention a healthy fat is more satiating. It's more satisfying and more filling than a carb. We all know the feeling of eating a carb and feeling hungry, you know, almost immediately <laughs> after right. 15, 20 minutes, something well, like that. And, you know, I'll say, uh, just from my experience, like not all carbs are equal, right? Like, I mean, I think if you're mm-hmm. talking about um, highly processed carbs compared to like a whole like fruit, yes, or you know like you know maybe maybe vegetables or you know cooked vegetables, I would say sometimes raw vegetables can be tough on the gut, but um, those play a diff- little bit different role than obviously something that's highly processed. Yes, absolutely, it does. Yeah, yeah. my favorite is unprocessed oatmeal, essentially. So, oh, so you make I get the own. old-fashioned oatmeal. And I don't cook it. I throw it in a bowl like it was cold cereal. And yeah, and then a couple walnuts on it. If we really need some flavor, a little bit of Greek yogurt, maybe drizzle a little molasses on it. Mm -hmm. Great. You you get used to it. You know, healthy feeling. Yeah, (laughs) I'm a little extreme on some things, but it's been working for me over the years. Yeah. Yeah, And and on that point, what what is like, I'm a big routine guy. Do you have certain routines? I I mean, I know you, you know, you have your own practice. You got five kids, you know, um, how can you? what type of routines do you have you uh, put into your life by their morning, evening to sort of set you up for success? Wow, great question. I've thought a lot about that myself too. I'm an overachiever. I'm always trying to look at new and different routines and trying to feel as healthy as I could possibly feel. So they've changed over the years, let's just say. But yeah. right now, definitely my routine, my ideal morning would would start with me drinking a bunch of water, first off. Not eating because I'm in my intermittent fasting zone. I'm not going to eat till 10 or 11 a.m. ideally. So bunch of water, taking my supplements, then uh, sitting and getting my mind right for my day. Actually, a meditative concept at this point, right? A mental strengthening concept. And I like to look at nature. I'll typically look out my window and just pray and think about my day and put some positivity in my mind. Sometimes I'll read my Bible. It's the idea of getting my mind in a positive zone, right? And this is hugely important because our minds, and I'm talking particularly our subconscious minds, they're very influential and they're very 
directable. They're very easily influenced, um, you know, to one direction or another. So for example, you think of a dream, you might've watched a disturbing movie the night before, and all of a sudden you're having some disturbing dreams, right? Why is that? Right. So it's important to start your day consciously, which then will become subconscious with some positive scripts. Let's just say it could be affirmations, right? Mantras, whatever, getting something positively in my subconscious mind for the day. That's huge. And then beyond that, most days, assuming I have time, I'll work out. And especially with a focus towards cardio, because I'm in that fastest state, I know it's going to be synergistic fat burn at that point. So that's typically my starting uh, point in my day. But overall, when I, yeah, good. No, I was just going to say, so do you do your workouts midday or do you typically do them in the morning? I've done different ones depending on demands of work, et cetera. But my preferred time is the morning, first thing in the morning. I tell patients, especially as regards weight loss, you're going to get a synergistic benefit. You're going to get a better return on investment for the same exact workout done in the morning on an empty stomach versus done later in the day. Last time I checked the literature and such on this, it was about 2x. So from a fat loss perspective, for you to do the same workout, you're getting a 2x return on investment in the morning. Another way of saying that is you could do half the amount of time and get the same benefit if that's a concern for you based on schedule and demands, et cetera. Yeah. I always say the best time to work out is the time where you know you're going to do it. <laughs> so if that if that's first thing in yes. the morning, great, right? If it's, you know, even if it's later in the evening, or, you know, if it works, yes. it works, right? Like, especially, you know, with your, with a busy schedule, I've shifted. I've been, I used to do mornings. Now I typically do middle of the day. I like to break up the day a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Understood. I've done, I've done a lot in times past at the end of my day. So between being at the office and coming home, it's a nice break, you know, mentally, physically de-stressing a little bit, have a little bit of personal time, right. you know, and then hit the door. Cause you've got family responsibilities at that point. So that's been a nice bridge. Um, so it goes back and forth. The, the other beauty of the morning though, is that it opens up the possibility for a two a day workout. Oh, that's the cool thing. So, yeah. So you get that morning workout done. Number one, you already feel great because you got your workout done. So no matter what else happens during the day, the workout got there and that's got its own, you know, jazzy feeling. Right. But besides that, it opens up the, for the possibility of a two a day. So maybe I focused on my cardio in the morning and then look, voila, I got a little bit of time between work and hitting the house in that evening zone, I'll go back, I'll lift some weights, I'll do some yoga, do something a little different. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And um, I know, uh, to the morning, anything in the evening you do to wind down? I know uh, you have five kids. Is there anything that that you do for to help them, you know, create instill healthy habits for their life? Like like your mom did with you? Right? Well, thank you for mentioning it. Yes. So full disclosure, my kids are grown now for the most part. So yeah, so uh, I've I've got a little bit of a baby face. I think you might be shocked (laughs) if I told you how old my kids are, but they're all in their early 20s. They're out of the house. They're on their own. My youngest child is 18 and lives with her mom in a different state. So when I come home at the end of the day, there's not a house full of children uh, at this moment. But to your question back when, yeah, you know, I, I made it a point of tucking the kids in bed every night. And that was hugely important as a parent, you know, that idea of tuck in. I I had to tuck in every night. My mom came to my bed every night. My little lap dog, Mickey jumped up on my bed, curled up in my arm, and we were going to go to sleep every night. And every day ended in this very soothing, ritualistic way where my mom was in there talking nicely to me, 
praying over me, saying goodnight, walking softly out the door, right? Hugely comforting and beneficial psychologically, even physically, I'd say for a child, right? So I did that same thing for each of my kids. And sometimes that was complicated. You got five kids, you're trying to do five tuck-ins. I had to divide and conquer <laughs> with my wife, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a great tip. Um, well, we'll finish up with uh, one last question. Uh, I, I asked pretty mm -hmm. much all the individuals that come on my podcast. What what one tip would you give, you know, maybe a middle-aged male who's getting up there um, and wants to get his body back to what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago? What, what maybe one tip would you give that individual to get them going? I'll throw out two tips. Okay, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll let you do because that. Because I can't, I can't help myself there. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Um, <laughs> the first one is get your testosterone levels checked and then take the steps to optimize them. Hmm. That's a power pack concept. That return on investment on that is huge. That's number one. But then number two, I would say is on the mental side, which is actually... You talked about wanting to return to some prior levels of health and wellness and vitality, which is true, which is good. That's a great motivation. However, I would say we have to learn to moderate ourselves as we hit middle age. I'm 47 years old. For example, my workouts aren't going to look the same as I did when I was 27. If they did, I would probably hurt myself. So I, I have to learn how to be the best version of me at this present time, not compare myself to my 27 year old self. The, the only valid relevant question is what would it look like for me, Michael Turner, to be as healthy as possible at age 47, not comparing myself to anybody else who may have different genetics, right? Not comparing myself to my 27 year old self just today. What would it be like to feel in a state of optimal health in my body? And so that, that definitely requires some moderations, letting go of certain expectations, all that. Otherwise you get guys where they'll hit the gym so hard and then they're sore and then they're feeling frustrated and then the rotator cuff got hurt and we got setbacks, you know, they're, they're not aging gracefully, let's just say. So it's a, it's a balance. It may almost seem like I'm saying two different things, but they actually need to be held in tension and balance together. Yeah. That's actually a great point. Um, because obviously as you get older, it's like, you, you want to continue down this road of health and vitality, but you, you know, you can't do what you, you really can't do what you did when you were in your twenties. And the last thing you want to do is get hurt. Um, yes. I think, I think, uh, like it was just like a few months ago, I was doing some heavy squats and then, you know, it just didn't feel right. And I was like, you know, why do I, I don't mm -hmm. need, I don't, you don't need to do heavy squats to get a, the positive mm -hmm. benefits of lift weight, lifting weights. And you could do a lot of single leg. Yeah. Uh, work and with less weight yes. and, you know, and it'd be just as effective. So I love doing single leg um, squats and things like that, that put less load on your spine and your back that you maybe could have done when you're in your twenties and you thought nothing of it. So <laughs> it's, it's a good, it's a good. Point. Great. Just to piggyback on what you said there, Brian, I'll, I'll give yeah. you an anecdote. Um, it was about, I think this was 2018. So five or so years ago, so about 42, 43 at the time I'm in the gym and I'm doing some heavy deadlifts, basically trying to PR on some deadlifts and doing some sets. And I get into my second set and my goal is to do 10 reps. And I've had back trouble a little bit off and on some disc injuries in my back. Again, all my injuries are self-caused basically mm -hmm. from working out <laughs> too hard or inappropriately, right? I've never actually had a sporting injury. I've only had injuries from me being in the gym, being stupid, essentially. Yeah. Well, 
so I had some pre-existing disc problems in my back. I'm doing my set of my personal deadlifts. And right around, it was reps number seven, my back twinges. And I have this thought, this distinct thought. It was like the voice of God in my mind. It said, mm -hmm. if you keep it up, you're going to blow up a disc and pinch a nerve. And as that thought went through my mind, I was like, no, I, get that thought out. That's negative thinking. I right. got to stay focused. You know, I got to stay dialed in. I'm setting a PR. Like I got to stay dialed in, right? Next rep, same thing. My back twinges a little bit, Brian. Same exact thought. If you keep it up, you're going <laughs> to blow up a disc, pinch your nerve. Yeah. And I had the same response. No, I can't do that. Got to stay positive. Got to push through this. On the ninth rep, that's exactly what happened. Mm. My disc blew up. And I pinched a nerve. My back seized up. It was like somebody took a hatchet and just sunk this thing in my spine and left it there and walked away. That was the concept. I couldn't even fully straighten up. I collapsed back on the bench. It took me half an hour to get from the bench to right. the locker room. It took me half an hour to get from the locker room to my car, et cetera, yada, yada. Turns out I blew up a disc, pinched my left L4 nerve. My left thigh got so weak I couldn't go upstairs. I had to have neurosurgery uh, in the subsequent months. And I had to rehab myself all the way back from that. So, Wow. Yes, my first, yeah, yeah, moderation and awareness and dwelling safely with your body, especially as you go past forty, is huge. Yes, awareness, listening to your body, and you know, not not just putting it aside. I feel like there's days where, like, you know, maybe you don't feel like, uh, like maybe it's a leg day or a lower body day, but you're just not feeling it for that, right? Then you know, skip it. It's like it, 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 you're must you're much better off yes. doing that. And, and you'll cut you. What I notice is when I do focus on recovery, my my next workouts are that much better. And I think that's huge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Well, this was great. This is great. Thanks for coming on. Um, where's the best place for people to uh, learn about you? Thank you. Well, my Substack which is Dr. Turner, Dr. Turner, drturner.substack.com is great because people connect, can connect with articles that I publish as well as podcast episodes that I've done. Okay. And, and there's and a link. Have, yeah, go there. ahead. Yeah, there's a link from there to my main webpage as well, which I'll just mention if someone wants to get in touch with me personally towards consultation, setting up a wellness package and working together in a program, that's michaelturnermd.com. Right. Yeah. And I noticed you do have your own podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy it. Um, you know, looking to add new episodes and flesh that out a little bit further and just bring great people on and, and have great discussions. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on Dr. Turner and, uh, thanks for dropping all, all the knowledge on us and, uh, definitely I'll leave notes in the show notes 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 at the bottom to of as far as where to go to find you and and um i appreciate appreciate you coming on the podcast okay sure brian thank you i enjoyed it and i appreciate you having me all right thanks so much thanks for listening to the get lean eat clean podcast i understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and i appreciate that check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.